Welcome to the User Experience of America podcast, hosted by Walt Dealer and the Caucasian Sidekick, Kyle Outlaw. Today's guest is a brittle spice and more never. I am Brett Obama, and I approve this podcast. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kyle and Wendy. Welcome to episode two of the UX of America podcast, where we talk about all things user experience. And just to set expectations, we'll likely digress into topics such as politics, music, comics, video games. You get the idea. It's about redesigning America because everything that can be digital will be digital, as the founders of Razorfish like to say. This episode is powered by Game of Thrones Iron Throne Ale Brewed by the Amagang Brewery out of Cooperstown, New York. As in, this is what we're drinking right now, courtesy of Carmine Street Beers, which happens to be a mere few blocks away from us. Did they give that to free? Actually, you know, I made a minor error. It is take the black stout. It's not It's not Iron Throne. It's take the black stout, but it is Game of Thrones. So that's what we're going to have today. Oh. Okay, so I've got some cups and uh, I'll pour, them, pour you guys a glass. It's a little nice. geeky for my taste, but if it's booze, I'll drink it. <laughs> <laughs> Dial up the sex and down on the geekiness. Wait. <laughs> Ooh. Is this is this a tradition? Drinking, uh, drinking pod. It is, it is now. now. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Inaugural These tradition. These are the last two bottles they had left, by the way. Wow! Look at that. Today we're going to talk about two great American pastimes: cars and porn. We'll probably talk about car porn as well. So, without further ado, let's meet our guests. So we have here April Spicer. Hello. April started her career in consumer research and has been found at the intersection of user experience, digital strategy, and account planning for over 15 years. She has a number of interesting hobbies, one of which we will be discussing today. <laughs> we also have with us today Wayne Everett. Hello. Wayne is an award-winning writer and associate creative director with over 12 years' experience in automotive marketing and advertising. He grew up in the car mecca of Southern California, but sold his Honda Fit when he moved to New York three years ago. He is also a musician, which has not much to do with cars, unless you're talking about bitch and car stereos, or the band The Cars, who were pretty good. I agree, they're pretty good. Do so you pick up the audio that comes from them. Yeah, but again, you know, it's the you magic of editing. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, if anyone screams, yeah, we might have a problem. Um, so, April, let's start with you. Okay. Uh, so you have a really interesting background. Ooh, How did you get into the field of user experience? Uh, totally by accident, I would say, because there was no field of user experience when I did get into it. So, uh, around I guess 94, 1994 kids. I um, started doing things on this cool thing called the Internet. I was making little websites and uh, little databases and all kinds of projects like that. And uh, over time, my brother and I started a business. Then we worked with a startup. That startup went bust. And then I wound up at my first agency in, I guess, 98, 1998. And I've been kicking around ever since. So really accidental. So can you tell us for the kids, for the, for us for the kids? kids. Um, oh, us? You're going to put yourself yes, in there? I'm putting myself okay. in there. What, 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 kind of, um, what kind of work was there in 1998? It was actually pretty interesting. I would say before the first dot-com bust, I was 
I was doing set-top box design and mobile app design for really clunky old phones and, you know, website development and did some kiosk work. And it was actually a really cool time because I think right at that point, before everything contracted, it was like, sky's the limit. You can do anything. And so there was a lot of excitement. Obviously, it was over and, you know, evaluated. And so, you know, it was meant to come crashing down. But the work stayed interesting for a while. And then after um, the bust, then I would say that, you know, everything contracted. And it took a good few years for it to loosen up and for me to start doing more interesting work again, quite frankly. The good old days of 1998. (laughs) So what's, what's your favorite part of the job now? Uh, I think it's definitely the collaboration. It's a very, uh, you know, interactive discipline. It's very reliant on working with other good, much smarter than me people. And so I like that because they make me look smarter. And there are, it's also just fun. You know, it's fun work to engage in and problem solve around. So the tech field has uh, always been dominated by white male dudes since probably 1998. <laughs> Still is. Yes. Um, Do you have any advice that you would give to women who are interested in this field? Just go for it. I I don't think, um, you know, what's interesting is there's not active bias. Like a woman can't be in the UX field at all. There's a lot, as we all know, of um, unconscious bias, as everybody likes to talk about, where since the industry is still managed by white dudes and people tend to like to work with people who are like them, they hire more of their own. But I... um, You probably can tell I'm from my voice, people out there, that I'm not a uh, shy flower. And so, you know, I've always been good at sort of uh, knowing what I want and advocating for myself. And, um, you know, I I think just go for it. You know, know what you want to do and then follow it. Did you ever have, like, an experience where you you really felt that being a woman, it was it was more difficult for you or it would have been easier for you if you were a man? I mean, def- workplace, not, yeah, not yeah. specific to the discipline. But, you know, I think any woman, you know, has been, you know, called inappropriate names, you know, touched in ways that maybe you didn't want to be touched. I'm not getting too, know. Nah, you know, just yeah. like people who feel like, oh, I could just like lay my hand on your bare shoulder in a way that like just feels icky or whatever it might be. Like, I think that there's, sorry, dudes in the room, but, you know, it is just naturally tougher to be a woman in the workplace because there's a lot of stuff that goes on that we've all, we've all inherited. Uh, how do you handle those situations? Uh, smack people in, in the ass. Oh. No. <laughs> well, 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 Wendy, what do you do yeah. when, when that happens? Well, I mean... Well, I, you're from Canada, so maybe it doesn't yeah, happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. People are very nice uh, in Canada, and I've never really actually experienced... I've, personally, I think I've been very lucky that I've never experienced this kind of, you know, behavior from the opposite sex. Um, not to your face. Not to my face. Or maybe to my face, and I just didn't even know. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe uh, being oblivious is also... It, that's a good coping mechanism, yeah, yeah. right? A good, a good, a good strategy. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, uh, I think in my experience, like mo- when it happens, most people aren't doing it, you know, sort of in a malicious way or meaning to sort of do it. I think some of it is just old behaviors that you just forget are inappropriate or whatever it might be. So most of the time, like a a little joke or a gentle reminder, you know, 
typically for me has worked to, to save the day. Obviously, there's a lot of women who experience much more direct, you know, kind of robust things, and they have to take stronger measures, but not, you know, I haven't experienced that. Do you guys think it's changing? Like, um, is it getting better at least? Because it seems like not only is there a change that's needed, like, you know, in the behavioral, like, direct kind of, like, either intentional or unintentional, like, creepiness, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and inappropriateness. Yeah. You know, there's also just, like, the culture of, like, you were talking about your personality style. Yeah. Is very much, like, aligned with, like, the traditional way that men, you know, how they, you know, become more powerful is that they're more aggressive and, you know what I mean, oh. and more, like, the you know. Aggressive word, the yeah. A word. Well, for I mean. women, just, it's very that? weighted. The A word for women is very weighted. No, it's, it's just, like, everybody like, cites that as, like, you know, men are rewarded for being aggressive. Women are, like, you know, well, she's too cold or she's a bitch or whatever. Well, yeah, exactly that. And yeah. also just the fact that, like, you know, the culture of success is sort of been defined by uh, like a man a man's approach or a man's style you yeah. know what i mean yeah. as opposed to a woman's style and i'm i'm hoping that that's getting better i don't know i was just wondering if you guys thought that it might it, be it's so variable like i can't speak to anybody else's sure. experience so i don't know you know what it's like in other industries and things like that you know i think i don't know you know i'll be interested Wendy, to hear what you think but i think here it's sort of a double-edged sword because i think there is like a casualness and like a camaraderie that's really nice and that it that is very warm and welcoming but I think it can lead to a looseness that can also breed inappropriateness that mm -hmm. is unintended. Yeah. And so, like, some of the more inherited, in, uh, you know, uh, inappropriateness has gone away, but some of the kind of where are the boundaries mm -hmm. inappropriateness yeah. took its place in a sense. Um, but, again, like, I find in general people pretty um, – in our industry, like, if you – say to somebody like you know dude that's not cool like not not in a not in a shaming way because like that doesn't help but like in a way of like you know like let's not use that word anymore because it's just like it just doesn't feel good they're like oh oh god yeah sorry cool you know and it kind of goes so small corrections no great learnings i don't know do you feel the same way wendy um, You're like I'm oblivious, didn't I tell you? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm oblivious, and I'm because mean, pot is legal in Canada. No, it's not, not yet. Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I grew up in a place where everything was just kind of accepted, and, and I am very politically incorrect in terms in, in, for Americans, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. So, I mean, I like a lot of times those things don't really bother me, and it actually kind of bothers me a little bit that it bothers people. Like, I just feel like, mm. you know, sometimes you just have to have a little sense of humor about certain things and be a little bit more oblivious. It's tough. You know, it's deep. I mean, one of the things we're doing here at Razorfish now is we've really kind of re-energized our, like, our women-focused initiatives. And I think one of the things that I'm seeing as we talk to a lot of women in UX and otherwise is you know, a lot of, like, pent-up stuff of, like, oh, I didn't even know that that was bothering me, you know? And it's not like we're trying to look for problems and stuff, but I think you, because you're, like, you let it go or you, you tamp it down and stuff, it may rankle you and you don't have an outlet to sort of deal with it effectively. So I think a lot more people are letting it roll off, but I still think it can take a toll, you know, on your confidence, on your perception of, like, how you're viewed by your colleagues, on your thoughts about your career path. I hear we're hearing a lot of that from from you know women here, and I think it's great that it's the more you know you just sort of 
talk about it and become aware of it. It's just a, it's a good step. It seems like part of it is, is just the inherent culture as well. It's like yeah. you're used to you know getting into a, a culture and you want to fit in and everything, maybe not even knowing that like by doing that you're you're you know kind of like going along with some practices that might be really bad for the culture. You know? Yeah, it's like the UX of America theme. If you take that back, it's like there's a lot of redesigning that I think that can be done here to optimize the experience of women in this workplace and others. And that's what this podcast is all about. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've just summarized it perfectly there. Okay. Now, uh, April, in addition to being oh, a user is... experience guru, <laughs> rumor has it that you also run a podcast called The Rialto Report. That's correct. And I was <laughs> trying to segue from women's issues. <laughs> I'm, I'm the master at segues. <laughs> um, in, in trying to do my homework for this episode, actually, um, I try to access your site on the company network, and I got a security warning that said that this site <laughs> has been flagged for pornography. Um, so so what what is on the site that's so controversial? And can you tell us, tell us a little bit more about the Rialto Report? Some bad keyword searches. So uh, the Rialto Report is a – it's basically an initiative to capture the oral history, um, memories of people in the adult industry, particularly from the golden and silver age. And so what you'll find on that website if you go there um, are, well, generically you'll find podcasts and written articles and photo essays, but not of the super salacious kinds, though you will see nudity because that is part of what – it's inherent in the job. It would be like us doing our job and not talking about marketing or whatever. Um, so that's why you got flagged. But we really try uh, to not focus on the salacious aspects. It is not a fan site. It's not uh, intended to be like, hey, what's your favorite sexual position? Hey, you blew all these guys. What was that like? It's more about um, trying to really capture in people's memories who participated uh, their experiences of being in the industry, what led them to the industry, how now 35, 40 years later do they look back on their participation uh, as a way to, I think, just round out the stereotype of what people think of when they think vintage porn. Does that answer your question? <laughs> I mean, what do you, Wendy, what do you think of when you think of vintage porn? I've not looked into vintage porn. <laughs> You're uh, lost. <laughs> but you will check out the Rialto Report. Well, Have you not this. listened to a Rialto Report podcast? Mm. Oh, you are evil. Okay, that's mm. your homework. Okay. Who was <laughs> who your favorite guest uh, on the Rialto Report? That is a really tough question. I, I, you know, I feel like it's like saying here, like, who's your favorite client or what's your favorite brand? Some of you are probably like, I know what it is, but I feel like... You know, it's like when you do when I do my UX work, I like anything that I that I do, I'm I like I have to fall in love with the brand and I have to fall in love with the consumer you know, interaction or relationship to the brand. And I feel that way about the participants in the podcast. I feel like each of them there's like some amazing aspect. It's like which child do you love more? Like I love them all just differently. Um I really, you know, some of them are harder to edit. Some of them are harder to track down. You know, if I'd say as a class, the thing, the ones that I appreciate more are, you know, we definitely talk to people who are really out there in the industry. Um, 
some of you may not know these names, but like the Annie Sprinkles and the Sharon Mitchells and people who have stayed in the industry and so people will know them. But I think the ones that excite me more are the people who disappeared, you know, and really it's such a kind of far gone thought from their minds and sort of understanding where it fits into their lives now. I'd say those are a slightly more interesting to me because they're not out there in a rehearsed way, kind of having to talk about it all the time. I'm not good at the short answer. <laughs> so, uh, who was your strangest or weirdest guest then? <laughs> or were they all equally strange? <laughs> Equal, equally strange and weird. Yeah, I mean, like, that's... <laughs> I am, like, a... Uh, to a fault, probably, like one of those people, like nothing strangers me out, nothing weirds me out. I mean, that's not true. Like if you're like a pedophile who kills snakes, kittens, spiders. like I'm going to be like a little judgmental probably. Um, though I'll probably be like, wow, what kind of horrible childhood and trauma have you faced or, you know, chemical miscomposition do you have? Um, it's kind of the same thing. Like I, I, I think the reason why I can be involved in this subject is because I don't have a moralistic or judgmental view about it. I think sex is totally natural. I think pornography and sex work has been around forever. I think people make all kinds of decisions. Sometimes they're good for them. Sometimes they're not. That's porn. That's work. That's marriage. That's life. And so there's no, like, uh, you know, I think that's the thing I like about the Rialto Report. It's not like, oh, what's the weirdest thing you've ever done, man? Or like, you know, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? It's really, you know, we do try to get deeper into you know, just people's emotions and, and you know, self-reflection about, about the things that they've done and do and what they mean. So, again, another boring answer. I'm sure you wanted some really slow. Well, this guy took a ferret and he put it, you know. <laughs> That's exactly what we're looking for, the ferret, right. the ferret anecdote. Um, so, so is, there, is there an overlap uh, between user experience and vintage pornography? What is the overlap, if any? Well, that's such a tough thing because it's sort of saying like any everything's experience, right? So it's like what we do is try to, I don't want to say codify that in some way, but we get focused and we have to think about the interaction and the experience of, um, you know, the products we make, the services we, we offer, whatever it might be. It's the same thing with anybody, right? Like it's just take that to another industry. So I'm sure it's probably a little bit more... Uh, wrote when it came to pornography at the time where it's like you're, you need a you know a boy girl boy boy interracial cum shot you know it's a little bit more prescriptive in terms of the experience that you're going to design um and you don't have a lot of control over how people interact with it you know it's like there were projectors and then there were vcrs and you kind of had these very contained ways of dealing um but it's all the same to, to me. Like, basically, I'm saying there's no specialty skill in UX, I guess. <laughs> Kyle is right now, everybody could look, shooting daggers with his eyes. No, no I, I'm just I, saying I, it I'm just... Bright just, red. It's, like, <laughs> it's just about really, you know, like, empathy gets thrown around all the time in what we do. And, like, I don't want to do that. But it really is about, you know truly trying to understand somebody's experience against something and and how to make that better and you know how to you know not just functionally better but like how to make them feel good and all that stuff and isn't that what porn's about it's like how do i make you feel good 
<laughs> now Wendy's looking at me like I'm a nut. Oh my God! Wendy, you you made Wendy speechless. Yay! Really, really difficult. I to don't do. think everybody realizes out there how how amazing that is. <laughs> and then, so what are your thoughts on porn today? God, I really don't have many. I um, like basically like come like 1986. I'm out, baby. You know. So, um, I mean, what's interesting is uh, like we've gone to AVN, which is the bi- adult video news awards. It's a big uh, awards. There are other awards that have taken over for it, but we go there because they always induct like a classic person. And so we've gone a couple of times with friends, people we become friendly with. And there's this whole new crop, you know, best anal starlet, blah, 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 whatever it might be. And like, I think the thing that's interesting to me is, you know, it's such a commoditized industry right now, you know, and it's such a huge industry and it's such an industry in flux trying to figure out how to, you know, monetize its wares and, you know, it's just completely got everybody freaking out. That stuff I sort of pay kind of attention to out of the side of my head just because I find it interesting as I would with, with anything like that. But I have no, like, I don't know who the stars are. I don't know, you know, what's going on. I'm really, like, if it doesn't have a big hairy bush, I don't know anything about it, basically. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> any thoughts on the future of porn? So there's, like, VR, AR, mixed reality. Yes. Wearables, all that. Yeah. Yes, yes, and yeah. I mean, if anybody's going to take it, you know, to the far reaches, it's going to be pornography, right? Like, they're one of the first people to move to try to find ways to find a profit in those things. So, um, like, I mean, I think... They, cor- killed, they killed Betamax, right? Yeah, I guess. Right, cause, because they, the pornography industry decided to go with VHS versus Beta. Yeah. Beta was better. Is that accurate? Oh, no. Well, you probably know that better than me. Warped version of the story. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's like, uh, again, like now, like Blu ray versus not, although that's all old because it's streaming and everything's bits by minutes. But, um, you know, I mean, I think, like, will, for us in UX in particular, I think it's an industry to look at because they will push boundaries first. And so we can learn a lot, I think, by kind of seeing where they go and, you know, learn from their successes and from their. Um, they have failures because, you know, they really are about the most human basic experience, right? Your sexual experience and how do I connect with you on that? It's like, duh. <laughs> duh. Yeah, so I think we're going to have to take a little break from the bush um, talk. Boo. And uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit. About cars. <laughs> and talk about cars. Ooh, gears metaphor. That was a, lo- that was a lot and, more interesting than that other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> We can mix it up. Uh, yeah. So when you are one of the most knowledgeable car guys I know, um, how did you get you. interested in cars? Well, uh, I kind of fell into it, actually, kind of like how April <laughs> fell into her job. <laughs> I was, um, you know, uh, I, I had a number of different sort of jobs out of college and stuff like that. I was a musician for a while, and I was a teacher and some other stuff. And then... Um, and then I wound up starting to write marketing copy just sort of because friends were, you know, needing it and they were in, like, you know, management and agencies and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, okay, give me a shot. I'll try it. I need some money, please, you know. And so um, so then I ended up working at his agency as a copywriter and just sort of started working on uh, cars. And I just sort of, you know, I was never a super car guy necessarily. I mean, growing up in Southern California, there was a lot of cars, obviously. 
Um, and I did work at a gas station at my first job. <laughs> but um, I, I bet you learned a ton from that. I did. I, I did. I, I about learned, human nature, I, I bet. I did. I learned a lot about, you know, uh, little old ladies and their cars and, you know, checking under the hood and everything. This is not a reference to porn. Oh, um, <laughs> You didn't have any of those ladies and, like, zipping down. Right. Like, it was not you like. You washed my window. I mean, this was, was California, right? It was California, but it was not like in the music videos. There was not like a sexy, you know, car wash girl and uh yeah that never happened um <laughs> but um yeah so so i just ended up kind of um falling into writing about cars and stuff and i just always did it you know and does that have anything to do and this might be a very terrible question but um does it have anything to do with your music like did you ever write lyrics Ooh. and is that somehow connected to you becoming a copywriter um i don't know maybe are you a lyrics guy um, yeah, I write songs and stuff like that. Um, but, like, they're not really, like, connected in the sense that, like, uh, I write songs, therefore I, I write copy. But it is, in a way, um, I think the more that I do more creative direction and stuff like that, because ultimately, at the end of the day, you're trying to tell a story. You know, you're trying to evoke an emotion. You know, anything creative is inherently designed to do that. And the more that you... Um, that you can connect with that core emotion, whether with words or with visuals or with some kind of experience, then obviously the more successful you'll be. And so I think my career as a musician was kind of like a, a predecessor to it in the sense that, like, you know, it taught me how to think about a story and about how to... Um, uh, and then also when you're doing like a set list, constructing a set list, well, you know, how should the emotion of the audience go from the beginning to the end of the set, you know, um, and then saw how well or how poorly that worked out afterwards. <laughs> and then, uh, some qualitative research yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah, some very immediate feedback, <laughs> literally. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I think just from doing that, it sort of, you know, inherently prepared me for doing copywriting and storytelling in a different way when I needed to make some money. <laughs> so, uh, so given that you're, you've been writing, uh, so you've worked, you've worked with, uh, with Lexus, right? And, mm -hmm. and now, now Mercedes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, what, what about the industry um, excites you the most in terms of, like, future trends of automotive? Because there seems to be a lot going on. Oh, man, there's a ton going on. It's hard for me to, to keep up with all the latest news. Um, I try to, but sometimes I'm a, I'm a bit late. Um, but all of the things that are going on with the, you know, the car companies are getting into partnership with, um, you know, with car sharing and stuff because they see the writing on that wall where – car ownership is becoming less of a thing that's desired and you know car sharing is more important um, other methods of getting around and of course ultimately autonomous driving is going to be uh, yeah, that's going to be the thing that's going to transform our entire society at some point there's a lot of things that are going to really change and but there's still some it seems very close but there's still some really gnarly hurdles um, to that, you know, I'm thinking just immediately about just the ethics of the thing, you know. Um, you like know. it's a great way to mix porn and cars. Yeah, it's a fantastic way. Hands-free. Yeah, it's all hands-free. Well, okay, so, so speak, <laughs> speaking of that, um, <laughs> you guys ever seen the movie um, uh, Crash? Not the one that won the Oscar, but the one that David Cronenberg did. Um so, so, so basically, it was it was based on um, a J.G. Ballard novel. Yeah. Um, and it's about a group of people who kind of get 
sexual song. pleasure. Yeah, they get off on uh, car crashes, um, mm-hmm. and it's called paraphilia or something like that. Although, um, doesn't everybody? Why do we have rubbernecking? Yeah, mm-hmm. good point. No, good point. Everybody There's does like to see a car crash. Definitely, like I think a that's joke in rubbernecking. And yeah. I think that's kind of like this. This is totally unrelated, but it, that's I think how the rise of um, reality television sort of came about. It's a similar, I think. Everybody loves a car crash. It's like voyeurism. You, like you want to see something. Something bad's going to happen. You're waiting for it to see. You know, see what's going to happen. Sorry, like, we didn't mean to take the wind anyway, out of your sails. Like, <laughs> like, the disa- like disaster voyeurism or something. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, Okay. It's almost like uh, it reminds me in 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 the eighties, like why gay porn kind of got as big as it was. It's like AIDS epidemic came and people started to have less sex and they were more scared, and so porn became super important. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of the same idea, I think. Like you know, you can watch somebody else have a car crash and maybe even like, or why do people have rape fantasies or why do they have these horrible traumatic things happen in their fantasy life? And it's because like that's the one place where it's safe to kind of play out that mm-hmm. thing, right? Whereas you could just drive yourself crazy if you take that, you know, into your regular life as anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of... Uh, car porn, crazy, car yeah. porn. <laughs> car porn. Um, so I, I've been really fascinated by uh, Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many ways, he seems to be turning the car industry upside down and also other industries. And he's, um, you know, of course, uh, introduced the Tesla. And uh, also he is trying to produce a Hyperloop, I think, uh, you know, yeah. transportation between, yeah. mm-hmm. I think, L.A. and San Francisco. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts about him? Uh, crazy guy? Genius? Um, in some ways, certainly genius, or at least any someone who's willing to challenge the traditional car selling uh, model of the dealership model, which you know oh. he, I mean that's like a, it's I think maybe people who aren't in the automotive industry or, or work with the automotive industry aren't don't know how powerful the dealers are um, to the car companies, you know, because obviously they're on the front lines of selling cars, and at the end of the day, that's what they have to do. So they have an enormous amount of power in what um, car companies do. And so for um, for him to start a company that is directly challenged at that entire model is not only like a, you know, uh, a cannon over the bow, you know, kind of a thing, because... Um, obviously, selling cars over the internet is going to be a lot more efficient and, and a lot cheaper than um, selling them at dealerships, you know, around the country. So, um, he uh, he's he's kind of signaling the changing of the guard in a way, and it's going to happen at some point. It's just a matter of when and whether all of those other companies are going to be catching up to that model, or whether they're going to kind of bite the bullet and make some major changes. And that's going to be a very heavy m- moment in the industry. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, you all, like, I'm, I'm surrounded by three people here who work in car land. Sure. And so, you know, I'm curious when I, you think about user experience and sort of how, how you know, like, you know, AR, VR, all, all these kinds of things. Like, what do you guys on the ground see as the most effective way knowing, like, you'll abstract the s- selling potentially, right? Like, you're not going to go to the dealership maybe and sit in the car and feel the leather and touch the steering column or, you know, all the things that are sort of the what we've eroticized in our car ads forever. Yes, good you know, word. What do you guys think digitally are going to be the trends, you know, that help bring that emotional connection to the car as the sales channel potentially gets abstracted? Well, I think, uh, you know, VR is very interesting in terms of giving you, um, you know, things like a virtual test drive or, um, you know, 
showing you things that you might not even be able to see in the showroom, for example, like showing you like what's under the hood, um, details on the engine. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to educate customers on what's you know how a car is made and that sort of thing. Um, but I think I think for I think dealers will be around for a while for various reasons because they they are they are you know in many ways entrenched um, and there are regulations around um, around the dealerships. But I think um, what's what's happening is sort of uh, digital is augmenting the experience and uh, the role of the dealer is likely to change to be much more uh, service oriented. Uh, so that you know, maybe you never have to go to a dealership. Maybe the dealer comes to you, and you do all you know, all your stuff online. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that people don't like about going to the dealer, but at the same time, people really need to see that car in real life. And, and no matter how high res it is, it's just not the same as actually you know, uh, touching the, the you know the, the um, upholstery, etc. So. Um, for, for right now, I think it's really um, augmenting and um, complementing the experience. Um, it'll be a, very interesting to see how that plays out, um, especially as Tesla, you know, sort of rises, and then there will be undoubtedly competitors to Tesla, you know, new startups. I think buying a car is still, it's still an emotional experience. You know Isn't I mean? buying anything an emotional buying, experience? Buying anything, but I think particular That's a big purchase, so it's cars, bigger emotion. It's, yeah, well, it's something that, that, that they really feel like this is a major purchase. They don't do it all the time. Yeah. And so they're thinking, like, I really want this to reflect who I am as a person. It needs to have, you know, I need to connect with this, you know, in terms of my personality or something or my style. And um, so that's not going to change, but... Um, so the way that we tell the stories, the way that we, you know, kind of um, engage that emotion might change, whether it's VR or whether um, uh, they go into a dealership and, you know, touch the leather or whatever. Um, you know, all those things are going to remain, but it's just a matter of, like, how are we, is the um, how is the story going to be told and then how is the, um, the connection to the actual physical product going to change? Like, um, uh, like... How um, how can we have like um, an easy way for people to go and test drive these cars without having like full time dealers stocked to the gills with all these cars that they just need to move somehow, you yeah. know? Um, and getting more towards the customization model like they have in Europe. In Europe, you don't they don't have dealerships. You don't just go down to the dealership and the guy tries to sell you a car. You order it from the from them. You might go down and and, and drive a car, but they're not going to have it, you know, because they just don't have the real estate like they do here. So you're going to go and like customize the whole thing, and you know, and then in six months you'll have your car. Um, so I could see it going more towards that model, but obviously not with the turnaround delivery. You know, yes, yeah, six months. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. But they'll find ways. I thought the coolest thing, and I was in. Paris recently, and just like we have City Bike, you know, they have cars um, that you, it's total share, you sign up with a subscription, not like a, like a Zipcar thing, because it's, mm-hmm. it's much more, uh, it's much more flexible than that, like you're basically, you're go, they're all electric, you go to a charging station, they're all over the place, you just check them in and out, um, you know, you drop them anywhere, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, such a flexible model, and I was like, uh, yeah, of course, no, yeah. duh. Mm-hmm. You know, while we still have to have cars in our cities before we all die from smog. <laughs> yeah, well, they're they're trying to get there. You know, it's the the autonomous driving thing and the shared cars thing is is going to transform yeah. it. I think, it, particularly with autonomous driving, I think everybody loves the convenience of it and the hands freeness of it, which is totally awesome. And you, there's time to be more productive and all that kind of thing. 
but it's also going to transform, I think, um, I think our seniors because, or and oh, people who can't drive, point. you yeah. know, and it's going to give them the ability to have much more um, chances to, you know, find work in other places where they wouldn't be able to get to and things like that. So that's going to change, hopefully, um, for the better our um, economic um, possibilities for for the elderly and for the disabled. Yeah. So. So we'll see fun. what happens. Because it feels like it's still, like, America's still always the odd man out, right? We've got lots of land. We've got this ethos of freedom. And, you know, the car is all, they've done such a good do- job in marketing your predecessors. Sure. To tie, you know, your personal car, non-shared, you mm-hmm. know, as your space, your expression of yourself, your yeah. ticket to freedom. Yeah. It's going to, like, rebrand it. And that's not going <laughs> to change. You know, there's, there's still going to be car people and people who love, kind of like how um, now... They make automatic transmissions that are way faster than you could possibly shift a car manually. There's no reason to have a manual car if you want to go fast. But people love manual transmissions because they want that feel of, like, moving the gears from one to the next. They love that physical act of doing that, and it's a very, you know, it's a very... um, uh, visceral experience back for them. Back to car porn. Yes, going back to that. We're back to porn, guys. <laughs> um, last question, because we are running out of time. Uh, you have a new band with um, someone named Jay Wall, Woo! also known as Justin Wallace. Um, it's called Selectra. Well, it's called it's called Se- it's called Selectric. Oh, it's electric. But um, it's electric. We found out. We found out. Like we didn't spend that much time. Well, we didn't really spend that much time. You know, thinking about the name because we had to have a name because we needed to get the listing up. And no, we were fairly lazy with that. As opposed to everything else we do with the band, where we've been working on these songs for a long time, like almost a year, and then we come to the name, and nobody bothers to Google the name at all, just to see if anyone else has it. (laughs) So as we found out that night, there were like a couple of people that came up, like you know, there's another band called Selectric, and they have records out, and they're actually on tour right now. (laughs) So I think we'll find a different name, but yeah, we have a band local band here in new york city and do you have any gigs we don't have anything scheduled yet but we're looking at sometime uh well certainly either late this month or in uh mid, like mid july mid to late july i think and it's it's you justin and who else is in the band? his name is arthur pingree he's um uh, he's a local musician um and uh been in the scene for years and years and years a really talented um um uh, composer and writer he does you know his sort of day job is he does a lot of like um scoring and um, stuff for commercials and film and stuff cool see you you're smart because like the non-talented people take forever to come up with a name the talented people are like yeah whatever name and then like oh crap <laughs> <laughs> so that's a sign of talent people out there follow these guys uh, or a sign of Real laziness. <laughs> it's don't they go hand in hand? <laughs> you just fo- you just have you know your focus on other things. Exactly. More important things. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, but Kyle and I want to thank our special guests, April Spicer and Wayne Everett, for being on this episode of UX of America. Woo. And hopefully, you will join us again sometime if we don't get completely flamed by internet trolls. Until then, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for the beer, guys.
thank you for listening to today's user experience of America podcast episode. And remember, don't hate, reiterate.